0: I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Hi everyone, I'm Rivi Frankel, and welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Parsha podcast, where we spend about 30 minutes discussing deep thematic points about the Parsha. Our series on Dvarim is titled Dor Hem Sheikh, Messages for a Lifetime. Each episode explores Moshe's educational message for the Jewish people as they prepare to enter the land of Israel. Each week's guests will be someone who herself has learned at Matan and is now passing these educational messages on to the next generation of Torah students. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office by telephone or email us at podcast at These sponsorships enable us to keep creating new content. So if you've deliberated until now, don't hesitate to be in touch. In this week's Parsha, Parshat Ekev, Moshe continues his main speech detailing parts of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. He tells them not to fear their enemies. Remember what God did for you in Egypt and the desert. He will do it again. But he also warns the people not to be afraid to destroy their enemies so as not to be enticed by their foreign gods. He reminds Bnei Israel that God tested them for a long time in the desert. They are now being brought to the land of milk and honey, the land with the seven species. But when you are comfortable with your built homes and your planted fields, Moshe warns, don't forget God. Moshe tells the people how Hashem will fight their fights for them, not because of Bnei Israel's greatness, but because of the land's current inhabitants' evil. This segues into Moshe's retelling of the sin of the golden calf, and the breaking of the luchot from his perspective on the mountain. Ultimately, Moshe saves the people and Aaron from God's wrath with prayer. He carved the second luchot and created an ark in which to house them. Moshe then recounts the people's travels and other sins, Aaron dying, and the role of the tribe of Levi. Moshe reminds the people, And what does Hashem want from you? Kindness to the widow, orphan, and the ger. Only serve Hashem. Remember the things that God did for you in the desert. We end with the familiar second paragraph of Shema and all the blessings of goodness that will reign if the people follow the commandments and walk in the ways of Hashem. Today, my guest is Rabbanit Debbie Zimmerman. Debbie studied Tanakh, Talmud and Halacha in Matan, Beit Morasha and Midrashat Lindebaum and taught Torah in Midrashot around She is a graduate of Matan's Hilchata program and is currently the director of content for Matan Shaila an online responsa with halachic articles in Hebrew and English by Hilchita graduates. And she shared with me that this summer she is celebrating her 25th Aliyah anniversary. So mazal tov devi and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: One of the sections early on in this week's parsha discusses the hardship people faced in the desert. Interestingly, the man is described by Moshe to be one of those tests because it was unfamiliar to them. But when I think about the man, I always think about it as this magical, wonderful food that will taste like whatever I want it to. And
1: I'd love to explore with you a little bit that dichotomy. This pasuk has been a subject of interest to me for years. This idea that when God gave us the man in the wilderness, it's something that our forefathers didn't know, meaning something completely new, which sounds amazing and wondrous, but then we're told that it's in order to do i which we translate normally as afflict us, and in order to nasotcha, which we say is test us, because it'll be good for you in the end, right? That's what the Torah tells us. And these are words that, the words inoy and the words nisayon are two words that have always kind of bothered me, the translation that we normally give for them. So when you, immediately when you said the word test, right, the man is there as a test, and it's one of the tests of the desert, I kind of went, ugh Um, because I think we often take this idea of God testing us as like this pass or fail that, you know, the way that we saw tests when we were a kid, not as something that encouraged us to learn or be better or grow, but as something that something external imposes upon us to see if we're good enough. And that is often unfair. But I think this comes from a little bit of a misunderstanding or a, not even misunderstanding, but a diminishment or kind of tunnel vision of what the word means and what the root means. People normally talk about three different meanings. They talk about nase nice as a banner. So you could say that when you go through this test, this nice ion, that and you are successful in it, that you have a banner to raise. Or you could say that a nes nice is a miracle right? It's this thing where you overcome yourself and overcome who you were and become something completely new that didn't exist before. And it's wondrous. Or you could say that nisayon is a test because you do have to prove sometimes to yourself or sometimes to other people, not necessarily to God, but again, to ourselves or to other people, who we are and what we can do. All these translations really miss out on the unifying meaning of the word, which is the term nisayon, which we use in Hebrew now when I want to talk about, let's say, my job experience, my nisayon avodah. It's the experiences that we have, right? So a miracle is an experience and what we show for ourselves, our banners, our experiences and our tests are also experiences and we learn from our experiences. Same way uh, David, when he's about to go face Golgoth, Goliath, he, Shaul dresses him in his armor. And David says, oh, I can't use this. I don't know how to walk in it because lo niseti. I don't have the experience with this.
0: My question is, I love that context of nisayon. I definitely have the association, like you were talking about before, of the pass-fail, testing Avram Avinu to see if he was good enough to be our uh, forefather, the founder of of the Jewish people. So bring that back to the man for me, because I still don't understand how this wonderful, wondrous food that shows up at my doorstep every day is going to be considered even in this context of experience. So what does that mean? And why
1: is Moshe saying that that's a hardship? Okay, so for this, we can look in two different places. We can look actually in the text of the Torah, or we can look at the Midrash. And I actually want to start with the Midrash and then connect it back to the text of the Torah. So the Midrash in Masachar brings two different rabbis' opinions of Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi, and they talk about uh, what exactly this nisayon is. And one of them says that the nisayon is that there's a difference between someone who has bread in their basket and someone who doesn't have bread in their basket. Meaning that the idea that each and every day we had to have faith that this food would show up on our doorstep, like you said, that's the experience, that's the faith experience that we need to have so that we can continue it when we get into Israel and we're actually working for our food. So even though it's not showing up on our doorstep anymore, we have to remember that our food comes from, as it says later, right? The word of God, in essence.
0: It's funny that you say that because um, I was just having a conversation with someone today about... Being a tour guide and they mentioned what their budget was and I said listen uh, that's really much lower than I I normally take but I have a suggestion for you of how you can stay within your budget and still have a great experience and he was kind of shocked and he said but that means you're not going to get the work you're not going to negotiate with me and I said I fundamentally believe that my money is going to come from God and I also fundamentally believe that I have the tools to help people have a great experience in Israel. And if my helping you doesn't increase my money, that's not a lose for me. Because I really do believe if I continue to do what I'm supposed to do, my money exactly comes from a Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's exactly like the agriculture of ancient times. I said, I am a farmer in Tanakh, just now I'm a tour guide in Israel. And that's like my mashal of of total emuna. So I, I really relate to that concept of
1: what you're talking about, of,
0: of referring back to the man that way.
1: It's so interesting because I actually think that the end of this section speaks a little bit against the idea that you just said. Now, I actually think that what you did with this person was good business. It's good business for people to get something out of conversations with you, even if you don't get the money for lead, for leading them. And also it's just being a good person. But if you were to give everything away for free, your money wouldn't come on your doorstep. And that's why, or later on it talks about don't say might and the strength of my hands made this wondrous, this big thing for me, right? That's not what you're supposed to say. But what are you supposed to say? You're not supposed to say God gave me everything either. What the text tells us to say, what the Torah tells us to say is because Hashem our God gave us the strength to do this great thing, meaning we still have to do it. We can't. Man isn't going to come down on your doorstep anymore. That was the practice. But that was maybe a dress rehearsal, but now is real life. Yeah, it's a hard, I
0: totally understand why the Jews were worried about going into Israel and having to work the <laughs> land and, and having to hold all these balances of the right kind of emuna and the right kind of hishtadlut of putting in your own effort and not too much and not too little. It,
1: it's, a, it's a hard balance to strike. Right. Relying on yourself, but knowing that ultimately it all comes down to what God wants is not an easy Duality to have in your head, and I think that that's this idea that this you know the midrash is talking about that relying on God is actually really hard. We actually want we're trained to rely on ourselves. So that's one idea of what this nisayon is, and the other idea of what the nisayon is is that is the rabbi says there's a difference between one who sees what they eat and one who can't see what they eat, meaning like a blind person doesn't enjoy their food as much. So, and if you ever watch cooking shows, sometimes they'll say something like you eat first with your eyes, right? You're given the food and it looks it looks good. It brings up your appetite, right? So this actually I think is a different form of me, which is that the man is boring. Sitting on not working for our food is boring. We actually want to create and we wanna be able to do stuff. And we want to be able to have you know, the variety that is the spice of life. And so the Nisayon in the desert was maybe this boring element, that experience, that might lead us to appreciate Israel more, the land that has these seven species of fruit and all these different types. There are these mountains and valleys and we have almost every type of landscape that there is in the world in our tiny little country, which is absolutely amazing that Hashem put this here for us. Now these are related to these two stories in Torah of sins related to the man, right? The first story is when we first get the man, In Shmot chapter 17, and we're told we're supposed to take a daily amount and we're not supposed to leave over till the morning. So some people left over to the morning. Why? Because that faith experience of having to rely on God was so difficult for them. They wanted to have bread in their basket as the Midrash says. And at the same time, those people who were told that on Friday you're supposed to gather a double portion, And then this attempt to kind of, there were people who went out Shabbat morning and tried to gather, meaning they couldn't take that idea also of God didn't want them working for their food every day. And God would sometimes provide extra. So that's that faith experience that is so difficult and that we really had to have an entire generation, not just one year in the desert, but 40 years in the desert to get used to that. And at the same time, we have the other story of the man in Midbar chapter 11, which is after like just a year, basically, of the man, the people are complaining that our lives are dry with nothing. And there's only the man to look at, right? We're bored. We eat with our eyes first. And this is very nice, but it's just white. And it's just boring.
0: Beautiful. I love, A, the connections that you put into the sins and how that reflects it. And also, I think it's such a lesson for our day and age being people that don't live in that reality of the man and of the miraculous of how we can draw strength from that imagery or from that experience that you're talking about i also think that in a way not having the man meaning the shivata right the seven species and the creation of food uh, is mirrored in the bracha that we say in Hamotzi, right? Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. We don't take lechem min ha'aretz. We take wheat from the land and we're partnering with God. And it's reminding us of that, that we have a role to play and that God has a role to play and that there's a duality there. And it's so interesting, that duality to me, because I see that in so many places in the Parsha where there's some sort of connection or me mirroring God or me being in some sort of give and take relationship with God in the same way that I am with the creation of food. When I create food, I'm being God-like in the same way that he gave us the man. And I see that in Moshe's opening. You keep the mitzvot, Hashem's gonna keep his part of the covenant too. You do X, God will do Y. And I'm curious if you have any insight to that give and take mirroring kind of reciprocity
1: that I see as a theme throughout this week's Parsha. One of my favorite psukim in the Torah is actually in this parsha, when we're told Hashem wants us to walk in His ways. And I find this so fascinating because what we just spoke about is the idea that our experience literally for 40 years was walking the exact path that God laid out for us physically, not even metaphorically, but literally. And I think that that, it could be seen as this kind of controlling thing right which is really scary like god forced us the exact way that we had to go the midrash talks about the idea that god when he led us through the desert then he told us to walk this exact way just like we're supposed to walk the exact path of mitzvot god also chose our food the exact food that we're going to eat and the exact amount of food that we're going to eat and he forced us to travel through the red sea so that we could have miracles and that experience and it seems controlling. And nowadays, I think people would look at them and go, wow, if that was a human being, that would be a form of abuse. Obviously, though, we know that Hashem is good and everything that Hashem does for us, as the Torah says here, is for our good. So it seems that we use that term inoi in verse that we were talking about, that the man was a form of inoi, which people talk about as affliction and torture, and that's what's used for Yom Kippur. And it's actually also used for the term of when a woman is raped. That's the term that's used also in the Torah. And I think that the reason why is that it's not just a form of pain, or it's not even supposed to be that it's a form of pain, but rather it's imposing another will upon your own will. The inoi of The desert was imposing God's will over our will, which we see time and again. It's getting us to walk that path so that we walk that path, right? God leads us on this path so that we walk this path, that kind of back and forth, which is actually supposed to lead to what Chazal tell us it means to walk in the way of Hashem, right? We can't walk in the way of Hashem. We can't follow Hashem because Hashem is a fire, right? We can't get too close to Hashem but rather we're supposed to emulate what Hashem does. And this is exactly the idea that we hear all over this Parsha. There's this idea of we emulate Hashem um, in terms of God's kindness. It talks about the chesed of Hashem and we're also supposed to do kindness in terms of the Parsha specifically mentions uh, how we're supposed to treat widows, orphans, and foreigners, right? God blesses the lands and blesses us, which we have a number of times in the Parsha. And then when we eat, we're supposed to bless God, which is, by the way, a mind-boggling concept on its own. How can we, small little humans, bless God? And yet God gives us that ability. We're supposed to fear God, have year or revere God, I should say. I really don't like it when we use the term fear. It's really more awe reverence. And interestingly, when we have this reverence towards Hashem, and we're acting this way, the nations will then fear us, right? Obviously, Hashem can't fear us. Um, That's not a thing, and that's a one-way relationship. We're supposed to reject the same false gods that God rejects. That's in this week's Parsha also. The entire Parsha, basically, if you look, almost every single verb that is described as something that Hashem does is also turned around at some point as something that we're supposed to do or an attitude towards us. It's absolutely amazing and beautiful.
0: It's really interesting because one of the storylines that we have in this parsha is Moshe discussing Chaita Egel. And when Moshe discusses Chaita Egel, he talks about the lucho that he breaks, that God made. And then he talks about lucho that he a person makes. And so you have that same God does something and then humanity does something. And on the one hand, It's one of the biggest tragedies that we have in the Torah, where this gift that God created, God who is not a physical being, creates these physical tablets that Moshe is supposed to gift to the Jewish people, and they get broken. And then we also have one of the most beautiful processes that come out of that, which is tshuva and humanity's ability to emulate God. And for Moshe to be able to create tablets that obviously weren't the same Luchot that God made, but that lived in the same Aro and in the same Ark and were in the, the Holy of Holies in the Mishkan and then in the temple. And so it's really beautiful how the story in this Parsha, or one of the stories in this Parsha, mirrors that theme so beautifully.
1: I love what you just said. Uh, and it just made me think, uh, and this is why it's so nice to learn with someone else and to do this with someone else, uh, cause it sparks ideas. So what I was actually just thinking is this idea that really the miraculous, the things that are very clearly divine, they don't last in this world because they're not of this world. And it's our job actually to continue the mantle, continue to walk in God's ways because we don't see God's hand clearly anymore. But what we should see, and actually it's a beautiful idea that um, Eliezer Berkowitz speaks about, one of the bases of faith is the fact that there is goodness and morality in the world. The fact that we do walk in God's ways tells us that we learned that from somewhere, that there was a God that imparted those ideas to us.
0: I want to talk a little bit about that chesed and humanity in the world. were charged very clearly with three groups of people that we should treat well. And first we're told that the orphan, the widow, and the ger, which I'm not going to necessarily translate as convert, right? The the stranger, although we today usually use that as a convert. And then we're given the next pasuk to specifically focus on the ger, And why should you be nice to the ger? Because you were a stranger also. You were also a ger. And those two psukim come within the context of other verses that say, remember what I did for you in Egypt. Remember what I did for you in the desert. And so it's not just a a matter of remembering, but also then very specifically highlighting these groups of people to have chesed with. And I'd love to hear your
1: thoughts on that. I love the way you phrase that. I think there's actually a lot of internal processes that are described in this week's Parsha. There's remembering, don't forget, you should know, you shouldn't say in your heart, which is the Torah's way of saying think, you shouldn't fear, right? There are all these ideas and all of them come back to this concept of remembering. And by remembering, we then know certain things. And the remembering that we're supposed to do is remembering this arc of history in that, and the Torah says this a number of times and multiple times in this week's Parsha, that we are not getting the land because of anything that we did, because we deserve it, but rather because the people who are already here have forfeited it through their bad deeds. And God made certain promises to our forefathers. And therefore, going back to that reciprocity we were talking about, we have to then fulfill our promises to Hashem and our covenant that you spoke about with Yosefa two weeks ago, right? That covenant that we you know, have reforged with Hashem, we have to continue that. And the thing that we're supposed to remember is this thing about Ched HaEgel, Hashem said, you know, I can get rid of the people and just continue with you, Moshe, right? We don't, we don't have assurances that we are special and therefore Hashem will give us everything and we can sit on this land forever. And there are certain things that this remembering specifically is supposed to tell us that we're supposed to remember our experiences and all these things we went through because there are certain ways that we tend to look at the world that are that we interpret things that happen around us in a mistaken way. So if you're talking about the orphan and the widow, let's say, there's that fear sometimes that people go, oh, well maybe Hashem is punishing them. So why should we be nice to them? Why should we give them something they didn't earn, they didn't work for? When maybe we have to realize that, again, it's not my strength that made this great thing to me because I'm so great, Hashem gives me what I want and I get rewarded. And therefore when something bad happens to them, it's because they don't deserve it anymore that's not the way that we're supposed to look at the world. This also leads us to why this mitzvah of loving the ger, and I agree with you, it's a stranger, or I like the term foreigner, meaning a foreigner, someone who can adopt certain uh, norms of the land. And that's what it seems to be if you compare all the different times that the Torah uses the term ger, and I have, and it's amazing. What you'll find is it cannot always mean convert because there are things that the ger is allowed to do that converts aren't, like we're supposed to give our non-kosher meat to the ger. So there are different explanations anywhere between the ger is someone who keeps Sheva mitzvah B'nai Noach, the seven Noahide laws and accepts the sovereignty of the Israelites on the land or the ger is someone who keeps all the mitzvot as a convert or maybe someone who keeps most of the mitzvot but not the mitzvot that have to do with Kedusha. Uh, which is an interesting way of looking at it. But in general, if we go back to the Gare, we're talking about how the people of the land have forfeited their rights to the land, and therefore we're supposed to get them out of the land. And that might have to happen through war. At the same time, that doesn't mean that everyone who lives in the land and isn't Israelite and wasn't born like like us and doesn't do every single thing that we do isn't allowed to live here, and or we're not supposed to be kind to them and make sure that they are taken care of. The Torah tells us, no, these people are people, which means they're created, B'tzalem elokim, right, in God's image. And therefore, we have to treat them accordingly. And if we are walking in God's ways, that means treating all his creations the way God treats all his creations with kindness and with respect unless they do something to forfeit that. And even then we're supposed to conduct our wars in the most moral way possible. And we're supposed to, because we have to continue to follow the ways of Hashem, no matter what.
0: And how do you balance that then with the part that Moshe is telling the people, don't worry about killing all your enemies, even though that's going to be hard for you because... You might be enticed by their vodazara and you need to get rid of them all. How do you see that read in the ger when we have those psukim earlier?
1: I actually think that that's the entire part of the duality. So I learned from Rabbi Dr. Mordechai Sabato in Matan when I was in the Tanakh program there that every time in Sefer Devarim at least when there's a mention of destroying our enemies, conquering the the people of the land, there is always very close to it something that talks about the value of life and the value of human life. The easiest place to see it is in Parsha Kitetze when we really discuss all the different things that we're supposed to do in wars. Immediately following that are all these mitzvah that talk about, the value of life, which is City of Refuge and and Eglah right? the broke neck calf. Uh, So that's one aspect of it, that actually the idea is this balance of, yes, you have to be able to see the gray. There are certain people who live in this land who are evil and God doesn't want here anymore. And God has told us we have to kick out these people of the seven nations. But there are also the opportunity for people to embrace a moral way of life, a way of life that recognizes God as the one true God, and that means following the seven Noahide laws. And those people, God doesn't only say, okay, they're allowed to live, they have to leave the land. God says, no, they they live in the land. They get to stay here. The Kess of Mishnah explains, even though we're supposed to annihilate these seven nations, when they take on the seven Noahide laws, they're no longer part of those nations. They're now part of those people in the world who recognize God and the fact that God wants us to recognize the unity in the world and God's creation and respect God's creation and follow these certain very basic moral laws. Ultimately,
0: I think that what you're talking about goes back to a theme that, that I'm seeing run through these different topics, which is that of balance. And when you're talking about gray area, it's hard. Ambiguity, I think, is one of the things that humanity deals with the worst. <laughs> like, it's the hardest thing for us to deal with. And it's all about how do I take my own independence and still give everything back to God? And how do I walk in the ways of God and still see myself as an individual? And how do I do all of these different pieces in this dance that I'm doing with a Baruch Hu? and ultimately i think that the way that we act towards other people and the way that we walk in the world can be the biggest kiddush hashem and motivator in our relationship with god and left the opposite right the way that we walk in the world can sometimes be the biggest and so i want to thank you for this conversation i agree with you i love the give and take of this and i've definitely thought about things differently because of this conversation and also for pushing us to remember that every individual action that we have in this world is an opportunity for us to be godlike and to create a moment of experience not just between each other but also between ourselves and meeting with god so thank you very very much I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.